Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. And uh, we're going to have a good Sunday today. I was praying this week with my wife, and we try to pray for you guys every week, and uh, really feel like this is a word from God for 2021. I was going to wait till first conference to share with you, but I thought I'd do a little spoiler. Is that okay? Feel like spoilers? A few of you, I know. Uh, so I want to give a little spoiler what I really feel like God is putting his finger on 2021, saying not only to our church, but I believe at large the church, Big C Church. And, uh, you know, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 17 has a really powerful scripture. And I was reading it this week, and I, I felt like just God's breath all over it. And there was two things that he says in Jeremiah 1.17. Notice what it says here. You put up on the screen if you have it. It talks about, um, it, it says, uh, there it is. It says, therefore, prepare yourself. Say with me, prepare yourself. There is something about preparation that is powerful. I believe that God partners with those that are prepared. Can I say it again? He partners with those. Stop bleeding the verse. Come on, eyes here. My eyes are here. Okay, my eyes are here. Um, we're going to actually partner with God through preparation. And I would even go on the record to say that preparation in the, in the eyes of humanity is better than promises. And I believe that divorce runs rampant in America because we have people that promise at altars but never prepared for marriage. And I'm telling you, any day of the week, I could go to the Lakers and say, LeBron, I promise to be a Laker and to give you my best. But if I have not prepared myself, I am going to contribute nothing to the team. So listen to me. God is a God that literally he does work with what he does, but he works with people that are prepared. 2021, we're going to get ready for great things. If you believe it, come on. Can I get a good amen? We're going to prepare. And as we get ourselves ready, this is what God's going to do. It says this, prepare yourself and watch this. Say it with me. Arise. I want you to say this word. Get it deep down in your soul. Come on from the back to the front. Say it with me. Uh. I believe this year God wants us to arise. We're not going to sit in the nosebleed seats. We're not going to cheer on other Christians that are living for God 100%. All of us are going to get up. Come on, if you believe it, say amen. We're done playing it safe. We're done sitting on the sidelines. We're done letting somebody else pray for us, serve for us, get involved, do missions for us. This is our year, come on, to get our hands dirty. Come on, if you believe that, come on, can I get a real amen? He says, prepare yourself, arise, and speak to them all that I command. Goes on and talks about, don't look at their faces. I've learned this years ago, don't preach to faces, preach to hearts. Say everything that God told you to say. Oftentimes, faces will lie, but hearts will receive the truth. And so today, I want to go in this vein of what I believe is a word from God to his people that, listen, in, in political hostility, in division, seems like there's far right, there's far left, and there's nobody hanging out in the middle. There's everybody's hating everybody, everyone's mad at everybody, no one's, ups, no one's on the same page. There's racial tension, political tension, there's, there's uh, economic un, un, instability, people are worried about the stock market and mortgage rates and everybody, there's so much uncertainty right now. And if, the, if 2020 told us anything, is that, that life can be disrupted. I don't know if you were in 2020 like I was, but... Some stuff got disrupted last year. Can't even walk into Chipotle right now. I'm a little upset about it. But 
life has gotten disrupted and I really do believe it's so imperative that in, in times of disruption, we have to evaluate, God, what are you asking and what are you saying to us? And I believe here's the word from God is that we're going to get ready for great things. We're going to prepare our hearts. And as we do, God is going to cause us to arise. If you believe it, come on, on credit, would you say amen? Give God a quick hand clap. So I want to talk this morning on the subject matter of arising. Arising, if that's even the right, I don't know, enunciation or, or, or context. My, my grammar is awful. Uh, English was my least favorite subject. Actually, that's a lie. It was a five-way tie for my least favorite subject. <laughs> if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 9, um, I'm going to read 19 verses. I'm going to talk about, this is interesting. Do you know that in the New Testament, uh, arise is in the, in, in the New Testament the most in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, arising uh, actually happens multiple times in chapter 9. I'm going to look at two people that God raised up. Raised up. Say it with me, raised up. Raised up. My, my proper tense here. Uh, that God raised up. And I believe it's true of this room today and true of those watching online. There's two groups I believe that God is after today. And you, you can judge which group you're in. But the first group is like this guy we're going to read about in the beginning of the chapter by the name of Saul. Say with me, Saul. Saul was a religious zealot, and he was passionately wrong. And I believe there's many people that are passionate about their religion, but they are spiritually deceived and spiritually dead. You can be genuinely, authentically wrong. People say, what's deception like? One scholar said, it feels like the truth. It's kind of like bad breath. My breath doesn't stink. Yes, it does. And you need to wear deodorant. Who has that friend that, I don't wear deodorant. I smell. No, no, you don't. Take a shower. Put some deodorant on. You're making a right guard. Turn left. Come on, somebody. <clears throat> Anyways, I, I, I am convinced that there, the Saul is a, Saul is a, <laughs> that one got me. Uh, <laughs> Saul is uh, deceived, and uh, hang on. we do laugh sometimes in our church, and if you're allergic to humor, you're probably going to have a reaction today, um, but there are, uh, there are people that are deceived, and then um, there's a... Uh, there's a guy named Ananias who, uh, who's playing it safe. And so I'm going to try to get this back on track. Acts chapter 9, if you're there, say I'm there. And again, both categories, whether you feel like maybe you're, you're like Saul and maybe you just feel like you're missing something. And I do feel like this year is a year that some of you tried living without God last year. Some of you live with God 10% of your heart last year. This is the year that things come online. Second group I want to talk to, though, is this guy, Ananias. And Ananias, actually, uh, he's interesting because he was playing it safe. He was, he was living a risk-free faith life. And God asked him to, to take a really big risk, actually risk his life. And there's some of you today that you believe in Jesus. You would even call yourself a disciple of Jesus. But if we're being really honest, you have a very, very safe Christianity. In America today, I believe that our God maybe isn't Baal or Moloch. I believe that most Christians in America, our idol is safety. 
We worship on the altar of safety and convenience. And when safety and convenience become your God, you will, you will worship the risk-free life. That's why some people move out of state, and that's why some people are, are trying to do things and just trying to make life more convenient, more easy, more safe, more secure. But I believe that serving God is not safe. I think it's dangerous. Serving God is dangerous? That's kind of a weird thought. Ask David if serving God is safe as he's charging a nine-foot human. Can you imagine David's like, oh, God, you're so safe. So glad I signed up for this Christian thing. This is easy. God's dangerous. Sometimes the will of God is the safest, but the most dangerous place to live. I didn't think I could move back to California, start a church. Everyone's moving out of this state. Oh, my God, they're all coming here. Why, why do I got to be a missionary to California if California's coming to Idaho? I'll win it when they move. But God said, no, I want you to go back to California. There's people that are there, and there's people that are going to move in. And there's a second troop coming into the state of California. And God's raising up a new guard of people to redig the wells that have been dammed up in California. Come on, if you believe that, can I get an amen and a shout? God's not done with this state. Acts chapter 9, I better jump into this today, but I, I do believe that some of you are going to be pushed out of your comfort zone. It's going to be awesome. And so Acts chapter 9, whether we are spiritually maybe dead or blind or whether we are maybe apathetic and spiritually lethargic, God wants to meet us today. And if you believe that 2021 is going to be good, come on, one more time, say amen. amen. Let's read 19 verses about two guys, Saul and Ananias. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder, he was a terrorist. He killed Christians against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked them for letters of the synagogue of Damascus, so that if he found anybody who were of the way, say it with me, the way. They called them all kinds of things. They called them the way people, people of the way. They called them followers. They called them Christians. They called them saints. But in this context, they said people of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them arrested and bound to Jerusalem. And he journeyed and he came near Damascus and say with me, suddenly, I put this in our Slack feed, but I believe that 2021 is going to be a year of God's suddenlies. I believe God can fix in one moment what's taken a lifetime to mess up. That's a word for someone in here. You might, have, you might have spent the last 30 years screwing your life up. And you are one encounter from Jesus away from where you're supposed to be. God can fix, say with me, suddenly. God can heal, say with me, suddenly. God can meet someone today. Come on. Who believes in a God of suddenly? Anybody? Suddenly a light came from heaven all around him. He fell on the ground and he heard a voice. He heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Why are you persecuting? This is what Jesus said. It's red riding. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What's interesting here, and I felt like I was praying last night. God wanted me to share this before I jumped into the message today. Is notice that Jesus is telling Saul, a persecutor of Christians. He says, why are you persecuting which I want you to write this and catch this in your spirit. Whenever you talk bad about the church, you are persecuting Jesus. I am about being open and I'm about being online. But I'm telling you right now that I'm not throwing rocks at any churches that are closed. Because when I persecute churches, I'm actually making an accusation against Jesus. One guy made the mistake years ago. He said, Mark, I like you, but you know, I don't have a problem with you, but I just have an issue with your wife. I was like, 
we got problems. Don't tell me that you like me, but you don't like my wife. The two shall become. So when you got an issue with her, you got an issue with me. And you can't love Jesus and hate his wife. Well, I love, I love Jesus, but I just don't like the church. Well, that's offensive to heaven. Jesus died for his wife. She's not perfect. She got some flaws right now, but he's coming back for her. Can I get an amen? So we're not going to throw rocks. And again, if we're pro-open or pro-closed, and if you're pro-mask or you're pro-not mask or you're pro-this, you're pro-that, 2020 taught us that people are different. And here's the moral that God gave me of the story is that there's, it takes all types of people, all types of leadership to reach all types of people. And if you're sitting in the tent, you're probably a little bit like us. And if you're watching online, some people watch their church online, you're probably a little bit like that type of leader. Does that make sense? It takes all types of styles and people and methods. Are you hearing me today? Comfort levels. It takes all types to reach all types. So let's make a decision this year. Is that all right? To say, God, I will not criticize any of God's people. Can we just make an agreement about that? We're not talking about, about churches, throwing rocks, kicking mud. If you're watching the line, we got about a 25% hand clap. So could be a rough 25 minutes. Let's keep going here. Suddenly light shined around him. He fell to the ground. I heard a voice. Why are you persecuting me? And the Lord, and he said, who are you? Notice what he says. Saul says, who are you, Lord? Right away, he acknowledges that whoever this is, he's God. Lord means owner. It means boss. It means CEO of the universe. He says, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Three takeaways. God's presence leads to trembling, astonishment, and action. Tremble. Why would you tremble in the presence of God? Some of you have never had a fear of God because you've never had an encounter with him. When you encounter the God that controls your eternity, that knows everything about everything, that has no beginning and no end, some of you are not scared of God because you think he's like you. He's not made in your image, friend. You're made in his. You're in space from his universe. And when you encounter him, he's so big that you fear him, but he's so good that you love him. He's astonished. He's trembling. And watch what he says. And here's, here's the litmus test if you've ever had a real encounter with God. When you really have an encounter with him, you'll always be moved to action. He says, what do you want me to do? And if you've gone to church your whole life and you've left the, your whole life the exact same way, you've probably never had an encounter. I think I had an encounter one time in 1976. I think I did. No, if you think you didn't because it's kind of like your honeymoon, you know. We went on a honey. Do you ever had a honeymoon? Yeah. And it was awesome. Can I get an amen? Some single people are laughing awkwardly right now. So he goes on. He says, all right, it's hard for you to kick against the ghost. So he's astonished. What do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise. What do he say? But this is a word for us. Come on, say it with me. What do he say? Arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. His whole life, he did what he wanted. This moment onward, he's going to start doing what God asked him to do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. He was led by the hand. By the what? Yeah. 
by the hand and brought they, the people with him, brought him by the hand into Damascus. And when he was there three days without sight, he was blind for three days. Didn't eat anything, didn't drink anything. He's dehydrated and starving. Now there was a certain disciple in Damascus named Ananias. What was his name? And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, he's like, okay, that must be me. Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise. What did he say? Two people, same word. What was the word? Arise and go to the street called straight. That's where I'm going to straighten this terrorist up. Go to the street called straight and inquire of the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For those of you that are old enough to remember 911, it'd be like saying Osama bin Laden. Like, I don't want to go hang out with him. And it says this, I want you to go, arise, because in a vision, he saw, he was praying, and in a vision, he's seen a guy by the name of Ananias, you, coming in and putting a hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Ananias is like, oh, I, Lord, I, I, I heard from many people about this guy. How much harm he's done to your, your believers in Jerusalem. And here he's got authority. He arrested my cousin. He's got authority from the chief priest to bind everyone who calls on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel. Say it with me, chosen vessel. Some of you don't, today don't realize it. You think you're ordinary, but you're a chosen vessel. You had no idea that you're going to start 2021 off by giving your heart to God. And you have no idea the great things that he has in store for your future. Because you're not just sucking air, air in the world. You're a chosen vessel. It says you're a chosen vessel to bear my name before kings, before Gentiles, and the children of Israel. I'll show him how many things he's got to go through and suffer for my name's sake. And, and it goes on. It says, so after this, Ananias went his way, entered the house, laying his hands, his hands on him. Brother Saul, he says, what do he say? He didn't say, you idiot, Saul. Which if you arrested some of my homies in Idaho, I wouldn't greet you with brother, Saul. I might lay hands on you, but it ain't holy hands. Be some UFC fist. Come on, somebody. But notice what God's love will do. It'll actually make friends out of your enemies. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you might receive your vision and be filled and be filled and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something fell from his eyes, something like scales. He received a sight. He arose and he was baptized. Here's the pattern here. He believed, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he was baptized. It's amazing that it still works today. Believing, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and being, come on, baptized. If the Apostle Paul needed it, maybe us too. Can I keep reading? Then he received some, in the Greek it says Chick-fil-A. Um, Christian chicken. He strengthened himself. He spent some days with the disciples there at Damascus, and he immediately preached that, that Jesus is the Christ. Let's pray this morning. Let's give God the next 25 minutes here. Lord, we just love you. I thank you that you'd have your way today at Ocean's Church. I pray that you would use imperfect people in this place to usher in your perfect presence. I pray that you would fill these tents, fill our screens and our living rooms with your sweet, with your sweet atmosphere of your presence. Would you speak to us? Would you open up our eyes? Would you ignite our hearts? And would you cause us to arise this year? God, we love you. And I thank you that there's difficulties, but you're the God that causes us to triumph. In Jesus' name, we ask, in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said it good old-fashioned.
Amen. Amen. I think we can agree that 2020 was a difficult year, challenging year. Good things happened. Some of the best things in my whole life happened last year. But I would say there was challenges. Anybody agree? A few challenges last year. I would say that growing up throughout my life, every season of life seems to have difficulties. When you're a kid, there's difficulties. Being the youngest sibling, come on, has difficulties. When you, uh, you get old enough to start dating, there's difficulties. You get a girlfriend, difficulties. You get engaged, come on, say it with me, difficulties. Then you get married, it's beautiful, it's the best. I would never want to go back to being single. But there's still difficulties in marriage. Usually a window of life that your wife tries to get lazy, and uh, she likes to call it being pregnant. Um, kidding, it's a joke, it's a joke. But my wife got pregnant, it's difficult, right? Your wife's, my wife ate 14 foot longs a day, and I'm kidding, she's going to hurt me afterwards. Uh, but... But my wife's pregnant, it was, you know, challenging season. But I'll be honest, out of all the seasons of life, probably one of the most difficult seasons is when you actually have kids. And uh, you do this thing called trying to get them to go to sleep and then trying to get them to wake up. I don't understand this scenario. For some reason, my kids don't want to go into bed at night and they don't want to get out of bed in the morning. But someone explain this to me. Why is it the bed that they will literally fight me to the ends of the earth to not get into at night? Any other have kids like this? I'm hungry still. I'm thirsty. I, I need to go get something. I got to go to the bathroom. I got to brush my... It's like, you are stalling. Get in the bedroom. Turns into a reverse hostage negotiation. Kid, I'll give you whatever you want. Stay in that room. You want a helicopter on the roof? Well, just stay in the room. You have, you have kids that don't want to go in bed, and what's really difficult is when you try to get those kids up for school. Oh, the parents said amen. It is crazy how hard. I'm telling you, my kids wake up. There's moments my kids, I love them. They're like, they're angels, and my favorite is when they're sleeping. But when they wake up, it's like, usually they don't wake up with a smile on their face. I have two girls. I live in an estrogen farm. My girls wake up in the morning, they're just kind of sassy and ornery, and I'm like, you come out. <laughs> Some mornings I walk, I just say, come out. <laughs> Jesus name, Shondai. <laughs> it is crazy, my kids, my girls, but it's amazing that the same kids that don't want to wake up for school, if I say, we're going to Disneyland, We were in Idaho last week, and uh, my, my kids love animals, dogs, and uh, my, my, my mom has two dogs, and my five-year-old's kind of like Elmira, if you know who she is. She's the one that tortures animals in Looney Tunes, and uh, she loves these dogs, and my five-year-old, she's like sassy most mornings. We woke up early, and I'm trying to get her up. I'm like, Chloe, come on, rise and shine and give God the... I'm trying every annoying tactic that my parents you know, tortured me with, she's not budging, I'm kind of shaking her, I'm pushing, I pull the blankets off of her, I'm messing with her pillow, I'm like trying to just get her to wake, nothing's budging, she's getting angry and violent, and I have this idea, I'll send the dogs in, so I send dogs in, and they jump up on the bed, and literally the moment the dog touched her, she's like... <sighs> I 
I'm like, who are you, kid? Like, she's like awake and happy. And it got me thinking as I was praying this week about arising, getting up. Because to arise literally means to, to, to wake up. It means to sit up. To arise actually carries with it the idea of, of uh, coming to action, ascending. And when my little five-year-old woke up with the dogs, it made me think about this. It really does matter what's getting you up. And I believe many people never rise in life because they never get the motivation that God made you to need. Did you know that there's some things in life that only come online with God's presence? I don't know if you're old enough to see that Bad to the Bone movie, Independence Day. Come on, Will Smith. It was prophesying 2020. But there was a point in that movie that God, God reminded me of. It says that none of the alien spaceships came back online until their presence showed up. And I, I have this, again, weird analogy, but there's some things that only come on inside of your spirit when, when you encounter God's presence. There are some dreams, some visions, some gifts, some, some passions that only come online when God comes into your life. You can live your whole life smarter, come on, smarter than smart, more educated than educated, better looking than better looking. You can get all the money in the world, marry a model, live in a mansion, drive cool cars, go on great trips, and still have these things in your soul that never turn on. And there's something about the Holy Spirit and the, and the presence of God that turns things on and causes us to rise up. I don't know who you are today, but there's two groups in here. There's, there's people like Saul that are genuinely off track. Saul thought he was doing God a favor. If you were to ask Saul on the road to Damascus why he was going there, you know what he would have said? He would have said, I got to fix this cult called Christianity. These dumb Jesus worshipers, these idiots, they think that the Messiah is a ex-carpenter who died a criminal's death, which all good scholars know, all rabbis know, that cursed is anybody that hangs on a tree. You're trying to tell me the one that's supposed to fulfill all righteousness and complete the law is some guy that died a criminal's death, a cursed death on a tree? No way. This is a cult. And I'm going to put an end to it so that we don't lose sight of our pure Judaism. And that's where Saul was at in Acts chapter 9 in the verse 1. But it goes on. It says he was genuinely passionate. But I'm telling you right now, you can be genuinely wrong. And I'm telling you today, some of you, you think that you're doing God a favor. You have a heart for God, but you've never had an encounter with God. Some of you go to churches that are boring week after week, and you sleep through the service, and you think you're doing God a favor. I'm just serving the Lord, just suffering, trying to stay awake in church. You think, you think God wants his kids to just kind of endure him? I'm just glad they're here enduring me. Catching up on that nap they needed. I believe that God doesn't want you to endure him. I believe that spending time with him should be enjoyed. It should be like showing up to your mom and dad's house Christmas Eve. Going, we're going to have a good time tonight. I'm going to enjoy my parents. I'm not going to endure them. So many Christians are like Saul. They're enduring this spiritual life, but they're not enjoying it. And they're misguided. And then there's other people like Ananias that they're, they believe, but they've never been willing to risk. And I love Ananias, one of the most unsung heroes of the New Testament. Think about this. Two-thirds of the New Testament never would have materialized without God's arrow named Ananias. 
You had a target ex-terrorist named Saul, but you had an arrow by the name of Ananias. You know how much God had confidence in this guy? He showed Saul while he was blind in a vision, the face and the name of Ananias. So when God's telling Ananias, hey, I need you to go lay hands on Osama, or Saul of Tarsus. He's like, uh, how about no? And God's like, I already showed him your face. I told him your name, Ananias is coming. There's not another Ananias in 400 mile radius. He's gonna live blind the rest of his life if you don't go. And literally, Ananias, he has this moment with God that he goes, all right, I could go into his house. He could arrest me. He could murder me. But I would rather risk in God's will than to die a safe life out of it. And I believe this is a challenge even in this year is are we going to live safe lives, comfortable? Are we going to be willing not to take stupid risk, but to be willing to take God risk? Peter was willing to take a God risk when he saw his Savior on the water doing something only God could do and say, God, if you could do that, would you help me do it too? Permit me to come. And Jesus says, come. You know the story. Peter starts walking on the water. He's all excited about it. He's like, yeah. And he sees the winds and the waves. starts to sink. And everybody is like 2020 Christians. Everybody's in the boat going, why are you doing that? Peter, get back in this boat. Who do you think you are still doing church in a tent? Who do you think you are? Why, why aren't you doing everybody else? Why aren't you stopping like everybody else? Why aren't you giving up like everybody else? Why, why, why are you doing that? Serves you right. That's why you're sinking out there. That's right. You better, you got wet because you, yeah, you something's wrong with you. That's right, dummy. And I'm telling you right now, I would rather be like Peter wet in the water than be like all these know-it-all do-nothings that stand in the boat and just go, I would do it totally different. If I was a pastor, let me tell you what I would do. I wish you were a pastor. I wish. Just for a minute. See what it tastes like. He keeps on, he goes, look, man, it's easy to stay in the boat and criticize water walkers. It is so easy to go, well, I I was leading, I was, if I was, if I was, if it was me, I lived in California, if I was there doing that, if I was a part of that church, if I was going there, I would have done this, I would have made that. It's easy to criticize water walkers. But man, I'd rather be wet in the will of God in the water be all dry in the boat and warm, <laughs> criticizing. Remember this, it's always easier to criticize than it is to create. And I believe many Christians spend way too much of their time criticizing than creating. I'll be honest with you, I believe God made us to build and he made us to create. And the truth is, usually we fall into criticism when we stop creating what God wants us to create. Do you know the way that God made us? God made us to criticize the world by creating his kingdom in the world. The way that we criticize is by creating. We say, this isn't right. Let's create something better. 
Let's shine light in this dark industry. Let's go into this dark state. Let's take ground that was been given to hell. Let's get back what we've lost. Let's, let's criticize what's wrong by creating something right. God made you to create. The, the moral of Genesis is a story that God made us to partner with him. Did you know that? How crazy is it? No other deity in the ancient world, all the ancient gods, if you read all the Greek mythology and all the ancient, uh, all the ancient idols, the, the, the narrative was always the same in the ancient world. It was about a, the gods basically getting tired, burning out, and needing some slave labor. So we're going to create humans to worship us and to feed us and to do our chores. And they're going to be our minimum wage labor. And they're going to sacrifice us because us gods are tired of being gods. We need some slave labor. And then, 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 then Christianity comes on the scene. Even Judaism comes on the scene. And it's this idea that Yahweh, the one true God, made Adam and Eve not just to be their, their little errand boys, but to actually rule and reign with him. No other religion has this opportunity, this idea that God says, I want you to name the animals, Adam. I want you to rule and reign over the fish, over the birds of the air. I want you to actually live on the earth like I would live on the earth. I want you to create. I want you to steward. I want your work to be meaningful. And some of you hate your jobs and hate what you do and hate. God cares about how you live. God wants you to weaponize your career. And maybe you don't like what you do, but come on, start loving who you do it with. Maybe you're there to influence the person in the cubicle next to you. Maybe you're there to sow a seed that impacts eternity. God cares about what you do with your life. And you can spend your life any way you want to spend it, but you can only spend it once. It grieves me that some people only live for them and their kids. And when they die, no one mourns you except your immediate family. You are missing out on the blessing of life. God wants you to live your life so open-hearted, so open-handed, so loving, so intentional, that when you die, there is a crying in the earth. They brought Jesus into my space. They were light in my city. They were hope in my family. That boss was the one that softened my heart to God. You hear me today. And there's so many people that live so safe, so critical, in the boat, criticizing Christians, criticizing churches, and they just, they, they're know-it-alls, but they're do-nothings. I'm always weary of people that say they know more than they actually live. I like seeing messages more than I like hearing them sometimes. So here's what we know is that, I'm sorry, I'm fired up. You guys have been fired up this sermon. Is there's two men that both, God's response to both is to arise. And I believe that today, whether you are here and you might be off track with God, maybe you've never known the one true God. Maybe you grew up with a secondhand relationship of Jesus. I believe that what kills more, more people than secondhand smoke is secondhand Christianity. Too many people know God through somebody else. Well, my grandma, she knew Jesus. My mama, she knew Jesus. My brother, he knows Jesus. Let me ask you a personal question. Where are you at? Because one thing I love about Jesus is no one else determines how close you get to him except you. You decide how close you live to God. And some of you are like, well, I can't wait to be close to God in heaven. Why would you wait to heaven for something you can have here today? 
So here's my four points quickly. Point number one, if we're going to arise, how do we ascend? How do we come into action? How do we awaken? What is the motive that causes us to arise? Number one, I believe it's when we start to expect. Say with me, expect. Here's a common thread of some of your lives. I've never really had anything significant with God. And here's maybe one secret. You've never expected anything with God. Well, I go to church. Well, have you ever expected God to meet with you? Have you ever expected God to heal you? Have you ever expected God to restore what was lost? Ever expected God, man, would you please forgive me? I'm telling you that you show me someone that has expectation. And I'm not saying it always happens the way that we want it to happen. But I believe the precursor to great God activity is this word called expect. Hebrews 11 says it this way. Don't... For for he who comes to God, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know what faith is? It's expectation. Let's go further. For he who comes to God, comes to God, must believe. Must. Must. Let's replace believe with expect. For he who comes to God must expect. Must believe that God is good and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Well, God doesn't want to reward us. The Bible says he wants to reward those that live with expectations. So I want to ask you this year in 2021, write this down, get your hopes up. Get your expectations up. Well, I'm expecting to go to hell and California to burn and everyone's going to move out. Well, that sounds like zero faith to me. And I want to warn you, caution you, whenever your theology requires zero faith, you're probably not pleasing God. Faith is when you say, God, without you, it's going to go that way. But I believe that you can intervene. Say with me, expect. It's easy to believe that California is going the wrong way right now, but there are some people in this tent. And last time I checked, God only needed a few righteous people. He would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah if there was a tenth of what's in this tent. And I'm like, God, if you would spare Sodom and Gomorrah, I'm sure you could spare California for a few righteous people. We're going to be a church that, come on, say with me, expects. What are you expecting? I'm expecting God to rise up. I'm expecting God to raise up the church. We're going to stop following the society we're in. We're going to stop becoming like Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to stop being as dysfunctional, addicted, perverted, demented. We're going to get get some of our holiness back. I'm going to challenge some of you guys, just because it's on Netflix doesn't mean you should watch it. Just because it's in the theater doesn't mean you should go buy a ticket. Get some spiritual backbones again. Start guarding your eyes. Start guarding your ears. You want to get out of pornography? Come on, start, start asking God to change your heart. God wants to make us like Him. So this year, I want to live with expectations. How do we live with expectations? It's really good. Expectations start stirring in us. And you have two choices right now. You can go, all right, this stuff's for you, Mark. This isn't for me. You can, when it comes to encountering God deeply, there's two choices. You can make excuses in your theology for why it's never happened to you and criticize from the boat those that have walked on the water. Or you can let other people's encounters on the water inspire you to believe. Go, that idiot Peter could do it. God loves that weirdo. God could love me. God could use me. God could, are you hearing me today? 
I'm being real. I'm sure some of those disciples like, dude, Peter is, he's lost it. He, he's not worth following, you know? He's got an attitude problem. He cuts people's ears off, right? He knows Mike Tyson. Um, kidding. Mike Tyson's gonna beat him up. Yeah, probably. Uh, but here's the truth is there's people that number one, expect. Number two, not only are we gonna be expectors, number, number two is I believe that we begin to arise when we have encounters. Here is the truth about Ananias and Saul. Both of them rised after an encounter. And I wanna let you know a secret. You cannot put yourself in a place that God made you to go without first encountering God. God encounters are what elevates you to God places. And some of you want the influence of God without the relationship with God. It's so funny how many people are like, yeah, I just wanna be used by God. I wanna be an influencer. <laughs> I just wanna be famous for the Lord. And um, so funny that we wanna be used by God. We just don't wanna spend any time with him. I wanna represent God on a platform, but you don't even talk to him during the week. Listen to me, you'll never be dynamic publicly if you're not burning privately. This is an overflow. People ask, that, some of you say, Mark, well, I love that every week you come passionate for church. Well, what's your secret? And my secret is, I don't come up here and just like, some of you think, well, you just, you just kind of wake up and like come on the stage and it's whatever comes to your head. Yeah, I extemporaneously, extemporaneously um, prepare, um, I spend about 25 hours every week for my extemporaneous message on Sunday mornings. And here's how my preparation looks. It doesn't look like this. It looks like this during the week. There's something about getting your eyes off the crowd and saying, God, I care about what you're saying. Some of these people don't agree with me and some of these people, you know, they're wrong. Um, that was a joke. Um, but God, would you please show me how to lead these people well? I pray for their burdens. I pray for their needs. I pray for their families. I pray for their babies and their grandkids. I, I pray for their businesses. And some of them are going through challenges with their health and challenges in their marriage. And some of them are struggling right now with addiction. I, I pray, Lord, that you would give me your words. I bring their burdens to you. And when you bring burdens of others into God's presence, you'll leave his presence with solutions. And the reason why you're not an answer to someone else's prayer is because you're not praying yourself. If you'll bring their burdens into prayer, you'll bring God's answers out of it. That is the secret. And we're gonna be a church that encounters God. It says the light shined on Saul. It says that Ananias, it says that he heard his voice and it says his name, Ananias. He says, here I am, Lord. What do you want me to do? He says, arise and go into the city. Arise. Encounters with God always cause us to arise. And here's the sad part. Some of you are in moments like this one. You're watching online, you're in the tent, and your heart's starting to speed up just a little bit right now. And you don't know what it is, but you can kind of forecast that something is getting ready to happen. Something's stirring inside of you. Some of you realize you're gonna get healed in this service. Some of you realize today's the day you stop living 10% for God and you move in with Him. You stop being friends with benefits and start being in marriage to him. And your heart's accelerating and here's the deal, you're getting ready to have an encounter. And here's my third, my third recommendation. This isn't just good news, this is good advice. 
third thing that we know about arising is not only is there expectation and encounters, encounters have to be exploited. Write this down, exploit. I believe exploiting is seizing a moment. Do you know there was people in the days of Jesus that were too busy to go to the meeting? They were swimming in the ocean. They were fishing too busy, working. And Jesus walked through their town and God who made everything out of nothing, healed the blind, raised the dead, talked so good that people, they forgot they were hungry after three days of teaching. And there were some people that missed it altogether. Was God there? Yes. But did they miss it? Yes. Why? They did not seize their moment. The Bible says they did not know their hour of visitation. Listen, some of you, your heart's beating right now, and you're thinking about reasons why you should leave early. Because there is a real devil that's trying to talk you out of watching the rest of this message, trying to talk you into getting up, grabbing your kids, or finding a way to leave early, because he knows that if you'll stay long enough in the presence of God, that God will actually evict that darkness that's been controlling your life. And I tell you today, I can feel it, because last service, there was 30 people that gave their lives to Jesus. Three, zero. Our biggest single service moment ever. And there's a, a, a gang ton of people in this service too. And you mark my words, why is my heart speeding up? Because encounter comes, but it only is, is capitalized on when you let God exploit the moment, seize the moment. The Greek terminology is kairos moments. It means there's creases in heaven that I look back in my life. People say, Mark, how did you get where you're at? I would say it was probably five big decisions. Sitting in a chair like you're sitting in, hearing a message like you're hearing, and negotiating with God, talking to God, saying, God, you're so stinking good, I surrender. And I could pin, pay, I, can, I can literally, I could point you back to a camp when I was 18, a conversation I had at the camp crying, saying, God, if you promise me that my family will all come to know you in a real way, I'll go wherever you want me to go, I'll be whatever you want me to be, I'll do whatever the heck you want me to do. That started my journey. I could, I, could, I could fast forward one year in Portland, Oregon with 5,500 kids my age. I thought I was going to Bible college to check a box and go back to my snowboarding career. I had no idea that in my first year of college, I would go to a conference in Portland with 5,500 young people. And in that service, I heard an Australian preacher share his testimony. And he started a church called Planet Shakers. And in that service, he did an altar call. I don't know what it was for, what it was about. I walked to the front and God asked me, he said, Mark, will you be my missionary? I'm like, wait, you want me to be like a pastor? I thought I was just going to Bible college to like check a box. I need you to be a missionary. I said, all right. And I surrendered. Listen to me. When God shows up, you don't convert, you surrender. I just started to change my mind. You didn't change your mind. You surrendered your heart. That is the evidence of a God encounter. Are you hearing me? And so I go, all right, I surrender. Where, where, what country do you want me to go to, God, to be a missionary? He's like, it's gonna be a weird country called California. That was a joke. Seriously, he said, Mark, I'm gonna call you to the hardest mission field of your generation. I'm gonna call you to people that don't think they need me. I'm gonna call you to people that have everything materially, but are completely bankrupt spiritually. I'm gonna call you to people that have short attention spans, that are addicted to media, that worship sports, and they have everything they've ever wanted materially. 
And I want you to go into that mission field and show them that you can have everything on the outside and still be going to hell. There is a real God that loves you. And I want you to go to them and tell about me. Too strong? So I said, all right, I'll go. I could pinpoint, listen to me. I can pinpoint my journey to just a handful of moments in his presence that I seize the moment. You want to rise? Seize God moments. God, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll be what you want me to be. God, you know better than I know. And the arrogance of some of you is you think you can plot your course better than God. You can't. Feel his glory coming in this tent. The fourth thing is when you begin to expect, you'll begin to encounter. And when you begin to encounter, I want to encourage you to begin to exploit, seize the moment. And when you exploit God opportunities, here's the fourth thing, you will, I promise you, you will begin to excel. And you know you're excelling because of two things. Number one, you'll excel when you're in community. Can I make two observations to you? Notice Saul and Ananias, they both needed other people to fulfill their destiny. Saul, when he went blind, who led him to Damascus? The people around him, what did it say? It says they led him when he was blind into Damascus. How do you know if you're spiritually blind? Real quick, here's the answer. Spiritually blind, you're here today. Mark, am I spiritually blind? Real, real quick test. Close your eyes. When your eyes are closed, do you know how you live? You live by, I think this is a platform right here. I think there's a step right here. Probably could fall to my death. How do you know that preacher? You open your eyes. Because I feel. Spiritually blind people live just by their feelings. I feel like being angry online. I feel like posting things that are mean. I feel like yelling at people in comment sections. I, I feel, I feel, I feel. Listen to me. God will cause you to rise, excel. And when you excel, mark my words, there will be a maturity that rises up. Maturity is not always saying the right thing, but it's knowing when not to say the wrong thing. Wisdom is the art of living life well. God will give you wisdom. God will cause you to mature. Are you hearing me today? God wants us to be in community. God uses people to guide other people to their destiny. Even Joseph need a butler and a baker. Are you hearing me? God will always use other people to get you to your destiny. That's the problem with the American dream now. It's been so perverted that I'm going to get as much money as I can, as fast as I can, as easy as I can, so I can do whatever I want to do by myself. But people that get everything they ever wanted by themselves isolate and you miss out on destiny. Listen to me. God, destiny requires community. And if you go to church twice a year, New Year's Day and Christmas, I'm telling you, you'll never accomplish God dreams outside of community. Maturity is the second thing that we excel in. Maturity is when we live past what we feel and we start going, I don't feel like going to school, but I'm going anyways. I don't feel like going to work, but I'm going to go to work anyways. I don't feel like reading my Bible. Pastoral confession. There's days I don't feel like reading. Have you ever had a day that you didn't read your Bible? Yeah. Did you ever feel like you're going to go to hell because of it? No. What did you do when you didn't read your Bible for a day? I got extra hungry. If I don't eat food, I don't die right away. But I do get hungrier and I get hangry. And I don't start, come on, you're not yourself when you don't read your Bible. Or eat a Snickers bar, you hear me today. We excel, maturity. How do you know if you love God? We're gonna close like this. Very simple test. 
John 14, 23, it says, if anyone loves me, Jesus is talking. He says, if anyone loves me, what does he say? I want you to um, keep my word and my father will love the person that keeps my word and me and the father and the, and, the, and the spirit, we will come to that individual and we will make our home in him. You know what God wants to do this year, Oceans Church? He wants to make his home in you. How awesome is that? That God had made everything out of nothing. He wants to make his home, come on, in Fletcher. He wants to make his home in Scott, in, in Jeanette. He wants to make his home, are you hearing me today? In Shane, in, in Reed. God wants to make his home. So his love for you doesn't change, but your love for him is revealed by how much of his word you keep. Here's maturity. Maturity is not how much of the Bible you can quote. It's how much of that Bible you live. How much of that Bible that bleeds through your life? And when you disagree with God's word, you don't go, well, I'm gonna cut and paste that to accommodate me. When I disagree with the Bible, I submit to it. It does not submit to me. And it's gonna get quiet up in this Presbyterian church for a second because we live in a cut and paste generation that we think that we know more than the Bible. You don't. It's been around before you, it'll be around after you. It was bigger than your grandma, your grandpa, your great-grandparents. Are you hearing me today? This book is eternal. It says that when the storms of life come, you will get rocked to the ground unless you build your life on my words. Jesus said, let me tell you what it's like. A wise man builds his house on the rock. And when winds of politics and winds of race and winds of economic uh, shaking occur, that man's life is not falling to the ground because his life is built on a rock. We have too many Christians building on the sands of opinion. Well, I kind of like that verse, but I don't like that verse. And that one's kind of politically incorrect. God doesn't care about politically correct. That's one of the advantages of being God. I'm just gonna say it. Well, I don't wanna believe in God if he doesn't do what I want. Well, I wanna remind you that you're made in his image. He's not made in yours. He's not renting space from you. Here's the problem. Some of you don't fear God. You think that God's on your level. He's not. Some of you criticize God for the way he rules and reigns. Well, when you've been around forever and you're going to be around forever and you make everything that's seen and heard and everything that's enjoyed and touched and you create it with your purpose in mind for you, then you can criticize it. But if you're the clay critiquing the potter, you idiot, why'd you do it like that? Why didn't you make him? Why did you let that happen? Why did you, listen, there's, we're human. But I just want you to know that he knows more than you know. He's been around longer than you've been around. Can I remind you, it took you two years to talk in sentences. Can I remind you, it took you five years to tie your shoes. Can I remind you, it took you 18 years to get a piece of paper that says you're average. It took you four more years to get a piece of paper that says you're smarter than some. Two more years to say I'm smarter than those people. And then are 10 years to say I'm smarter than pretty much everybody. It took you 16 years to drive a car. Listen to me, God has been around forever. Your opinion, listen, I'm, I'm sorry, to, I'm trying to, I love you. But God is bigger than you. And he's not answering to you. And you might give God the finger today, but listen to me, you're not, he's not answering you. You're gonna answer to him one day. Yeah. And I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm trying to give you an opportunity to surrender. 
Because I promise you, you'll regret a lot of things in life, but you will never regret open surrender to God. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows what you're going to want 10 years from now. He knows who you want to be 20 years from now. He knows what you need to do this week. Are you hearing me today? He's got it all. He's got the whole world. He's got it all in his hand. And I want to challenge you today. How do you know when you begin to arise? Here's the answer. Can I give you my thesis today? You know you begin to arise in God when you become the answer to somebody else's prayer. You know what Saul became? The answer to someone else's prayer. I bet there's some old ladies in the town of Damascus going, God, would you please have mercy on that terrorist Saul? Would you please soften his heart? Help him to stop being a crazy government leader? Would you help him to stop leading in a tyrannical manner? We need some Christians that start praying for our elected officials. We need some people that stop cursing people and saying, God, look, they bother me but I bless them. And I ask you that you would soften their heart. If you can rescue Saul of Tarsus, you can rescue that crazy leader. You can soften that demented leader's heart, that godless per- Are you hearing me today? Problem is sometimes we're like, we're like Jonah that's like, I don't want him to be saved. Fire and brimstone. Torch him, God. But I'm telling you, the heart of Jesus always blesses. Amen. I feel his presence today. We're going to be a church that's the answer to somebody else's prayer. Do you know if Ananias didn't show up that day, Saul would have lived blind the rest of his life. You know what what Ananias became? Check this out. He became someone that rised up. How do you know? He became the answer to somebody else's prayer. Hey, this week, Ocean's Church, can we be the answer to someone else's prayer? Maybe you buy someone's groceries. Maybe you buy a sandwich for that, that guy living on the streets. Maybe this week we, we sponsor someone's Ocean's College scholarship. Do you know we have 30 Ocean's College students starting this week? 30. I don't know any churches two years old that have 30 students in their program. Could we be the answer to somebody else's prayer? Buy someone's rent. Come on, put down the deposit. Buy someone a car. Give someone a down payment. Are you hearing me today? Let's be the answer to someone else's prayer. God be going to raise us up. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.